What's up, y'all? A little faith, and welcome to episode 16 of the Fagnostic Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hayes, and if I'm still giving you episodes, it means that I'm still looking for answers. Today, I have Bishop Megan Rohr calling in from SF. They are the first openly transgender bishop of a major Christian denomination in the entire world. The entire world? The entire world. Currently serving the Pacific Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. You might know them from Queer Eye when they were featured in the very first episode of the fifth season for offering support and encouragement to the Reverend the episode centered around. They have served as the executive director of Welcome, an organization that aids the LGBTQ homeless community around San Francisco, and has also served as the chaplain of the San Francisco Police Department. An activist with a heart for people, Megan has served on many boards and has even had their theology featured in the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Yes, that one. I said, do you want a Reformation? Woo, woo. In this episode, you'll hear them discuss their views on the divine, the beauty of the in-between spaces, as well as their experience anytime they go through a TSA checkpoint in the airport and what documents and proof they have to carry when visiting their home state of South Dakota. Welcome, Bishop Megan Rohr. Bishop, I'm so happy to have you here today. Uh, I, I was just doting on you before we hit record, but it really is an honor to have you to see your face here. Um, we spoke a little bit on a faith panel last year, um, and I was just so captivated by the message of your heart because of how it impacted my spirit that I just had to have you back for my listeners. Um, so thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm so happy. Um, okay, so first question for every episode is, are you a believer? I am. Okay. Can you expand on that? Sure. I believe in the power of community. I believe in the fact that my kids are very adorable. I believe in science. I believe in um, the ability of grandmas to like will goodness into your world. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I believe in God. I'm a Lutheran. Yeah, that's great. It's, you know, I love that your belief system encompasses all that brings you joy and, and sustains you in this life. It's not just that I believe in this one thing, but believing in this one thing allows me to believe in all these other experiences in life. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's maybe the gift of being a Lutheran as opposed to maybe other types of faithful belief is, you know, some, some belief systems are concerned really with like what happens when you die. Mm-hmm. Are, does God give you the thumbs up or does God give you the thumbs down? And Lutherans believe that God does all the work to, for reconciling you. And so we'll use all the time we save, not worrying about whether or not we get a thumbs up or a thumbs down and just care for the world and yeah. love our neighbor and feed the poor. Absolutely. I hope that social media can start to reflect the the lack of need for a thumbs up or thumbs down someday. Because I just was reading this report that this week about the internal documents being leaked at Instagram, showing that they are full aware of the negative effects they are having on young girls, which broke my heart. Um, and if, and I'm sure it doesn't stop at young girls. I just think we haven't seen those leaked reports. Um, uh, but that's we can go down that route in a bit. Uh, so what, what uh, can you identify your pronouns for us? Uh, they and them. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, again, thank you for being here. Can you, I know who you are and I'm sure most of my listeners do too. Um, can you give us an, uh, give us the rundown on who is the doctor, the Reverend, the Bishop Megan Rohr? Sure. I'm, I'm the Reverend Dr. Megan Rohr. I have a doctorate of ministry studying how pastors organized in the sixties and seventies in San Francisco. I am a pastor in the Lutheran Church, and I was recently elected bishop of the Sierra Pacific Synod, which is just a fancy way of saying the geography kind of from around Visalia and up to Oregon and then out across Nevada to Elko. But let's touch on that just real quick, because while the the size of the geography is obviously important, especially with the you have what over 200 congregations that you kind of oversee, but you're the first openly trans person to hold this title in a major uh, major denomination in the U.S. Yeah, well, it may be in the world since the year 320 ish. 
since yeah. the world 320 ish. Uh, what do you mean? Yeah. So the council of Nicaea, their very first uh-huh. thing that they, most people know of like the Nicene creed, which is yes. this very ordered way of talking about God. Um, but the very first thing they did is they um, decided it was against the rules to be a eunuch, to be a trans person. And so there were lots of bishops and pastors and people who were um, in the in-between spaces of spirituality. In fact, the, the Hagia Sophia Easter rituals could only be done by trans people, like because they believed that was a time of liminal space between life and death, and that trans people were in liminal space between male and female. And so, you know, Indigenous folk all across the globe lifted up trans folk as as the most spiritual and most sacred amongst them. And so it's, you know, the loss of feeling like trans folk or gender diverse folk or whatever the language was at the time, because trans is a a relatively new term. Mm -hmm. It it really becomes a product of colonization. Right. People went around and, and with blood and sword said, believe in God this way. And it was a very medieval type of church you know they had gone through the black plague and they said don't do anything to make god mad like don't love don't do like like be afraid of things so it was a a very similar time if you've heard anyone say that recently Uh, but they were afraid of their bodies because they were afraid of death and and they enforced that around the world assuming that god wanted them to and it erased a lot of really beautiful traditions and LGBTQ folk have have studied them and lifted them up, but it's it's really beautiful to see kind of a resurgence of people naming that trans folk can be leaders. And I, I see myself as one of just many jobs trans folk are now allowed to work in openly. Right. So it's a lovely thing to imagine faithful trans lives, not just violently ending trans mm-hmm. lives. Yep. I grew up in fear-based theology that you were talking about a bit ago. And so it's, and, and that, that fear is, is based everywhere in your theology and, and the way you perceive the world, um, which is how I think, you know, they are able to maintain power because they place this binary status on everything in life. It's this or that good or bad heaven or hell, them or us. And I, um, I really, um, you know, with, with, and I credit the queer community, really, who have opened my eyes to the beauty of the in-between, because I think, you know, I still, I, I'm in my mid-30s, but I still struggle with that desire to be a hardline cisgendered male, to love being a dude, you know? Um, and I really, in my, as I'm really struggling to decide if I believe in a, a God or a divine, and if so, what does that belief mean? where I'm seeing it is in the, the in-between. It's not in things. It's not necessarily in that tree or in you, but it's in this dialogue. It's in what's happening between us, that energetic connection. And um, so that's where I, I so I, so my, my queer um, siblings have really opened my eyes to, to the, to not just the beauty, but the glory that is in that, that gray space. I just watched a really fascinating documentary short yesterday called the gray space. Um, that's in a film festival I'm judging this weekend. And it just was like, I, I want so badly for the Christian community to see that's where the beauty is. That's where the beauty is. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like, maybe this is a product of Lutheranism, but like, we believe so strongly that it matters more that God believes in us than that we believe in God, that it gives us permission like to baptize. Can you say that again? Say that for those in the back and me. (laughs) Yeah. Like, so what if it only matters that God believes in you and it doesn't matter if you believe in God. And, and I don't say that to mean like, don't believe, obviously I am someone who believes and I think believing is important. I go to church and I preach and I do all of those things, but the reason we can baptize babies is we believe people can borrow each other's hearts. Mm. So at a baptism, it's not a baby saying, I understand who God is and that I'll follow these rules. It's a community being the heart of that child and like wishing the best kind of future life for them, that they're promising they'll, uh, they'll love them no matter what choices they make on accident or on purpose. They promise yeah. that they're going to teach them about God, even if they screw it up and like it, right? And what's gone wrong is not, you know, whether or not people have decided that they can believe any, any particular creed or not, because Lutherans believe you can borrow other people's hearts and believe the creed because your grandma loved that creed. Um, but 
what has gone wrong is that we didn't fulfill those community promises. When people lived outside of what was expected or people saw just a part of God's big toe and only uh, saw a God who could love someone who was exactly like them, we forgot that we promised we were going to love people no matter what happened next. And I think my reading of stories about Jesus is that Jesus tried to love people even when they believed in different ways, like the wrong mountain or the wrong location or smelling funny and not doing the right rituals and showing up on the wrong day at church to get healed. And, and so I'm, I'm completely fine with a world where, where we live a little bit like in the confusion of the disciples, there's these beautiful stories where the disciples go, uh, Jesus, there are these people who don't believe in you and they're like healing people. What should we do? And Jesus says, let them heal people like right. wanted good things to happen and and also thought like well if they're doing good things with us they can't like bad mouth us later like these aren't going to be the people right. who kill me later in this story like remember that mm-hmm. and so i you know just that, think you know what that reminds me of though bishop is like with the the vaccination drama right now that we're in and all these you know very conservative evangelicals who are saying you know, like, oh, but th- these people are saying that, you know, they're smarter than us and they have this vaccine. And I can imagine them going to their their preachers and to their Jesuses at night being like, you know, we our belief in you is going to win because that if they're not claiming you, they can't be right. And Jesus being like, well, why don't you let them do their job? Because guess who gave them that brain? Well, yeah, Jesus said a lot of times, like, don't put the Lord your God to test, right? Oh. Like, <laughs> of course, maybe God could protect you from all of these things, but that doesn't mean that like, science doesn't also come from the beautiful creation of what what god is up to and and there's lots of ways of living and the good news is that you know there are people who are going to preach the exact opposite thing as me who god is going to love just as much as me and it's and it's maybe why i have my faith like what other book in the world could people you totally disagree with all believe the same book like tells them they're great and that they're fabulous and that god loves them and our, our, our differences might be in the translations or it might be in, you know, which parts, you know, do we like Paul the best or do we like Jesus the best? We can have fights about that all day, but I'd rather be out feeding the poor and caring for folk and skipping that debate altogether. Which you do. Um, through, you, you had many organizations, I know of Welcome, um, mm-hmm. and there's some other things that you also head up to, to help, as speci- specifically the, the LGBTQ community in San Francisco, um, which I imagine has reverberate, re- reverberating effects throughout the country and specifically your synod. Um, you're from South Dakota originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's, so it's funny too, because that word synod, I have until about two months ago, called it synod. Um, I had another um, Lutheran on here and they, they said synod. And I was like, oh, that must be a regional thing, but it is synod. Well, you got to have the word synod in it a little bit. Right, exactly. So how did you get to where you are now from South Dakota? So I, at the time that I was graduating from high school or from college, um, thought it was a terrible idea to be a pastor uh, because... At the time, the Lutheran Church wasn't quite ready for LGBTQ people to serve openly. So you and were out. You were I, out at that point. Yeah, I was. I was like the head of the Gay and Lesbian Alliance out, like hosting big gay chili competitions out, like super Ooh. out, right? And and um, so it it just felt like a thing that I didn't want to have to be like the poster child of queerness and faith, which ha ha ha, right? But um, <laughs> here we go. So. Um, I, so I, I thought I would just like be, be doing like working in, in good organizations. And so I worked at a shelter for battered and and neglected kids, age three to 12. And there was this kid named Joshua who had tried to kill himself 12 times and he was only six. Oh my God. Wouldn't tell anyone why. And he finally came over to me one day and he said, do you know why I'm trying to do this? And I said, no, why? And he said, well, I once heard at church that if you're bad, you go to hell and I want to die before I'm bad so that I can go to heaven. And I just thought, like if the worst thing that happens is there is I fill one pulpit where no kid's going to ever hear that again, like it will be okay. And and I just knew that I was going to keep having those encounters and I could either get trained for them or not. And so I drove from South Dakota to Berkeley to go to the, the Lutheran seminary out there 
and to go to baby pastor school and um, started studying how to be a pastor. And at the same time, started working with the homeless and hungry in San Francisco and learned that a lot of the folk who were homeless and hungry in San Francisco were there because other parts of the country had so much homophobia and discrimination against the people who were there. And that taking care of the homeless in, in San Francisco was taking care of those who weren't as fortunate as me and didn't have families that supported them or faith communities that supported them. And um, that that really became a big part of, of my call to like eat with people and learn their stories. And then to go back to those communities all over the United States and visit their LGBTQ homeless shelters and remind the faith communities nearby that until you can speak out loud and proud about the LGBTQ people in your area, there will always be homelessness in San Francisco. And even till today, 40% of both the adults and the kids who are homeless are LGBTQ. Yes, I know. I it's I uh, live in Hollywood and there, uh, there's several LGBT centers around Hollywood uh, specifically. And, and, it, it just, it, you can see a large percentage of those who are unhoused um, are members of our community, which makes it much more personal, but, yeah. but it doesn't sound like you ever like in, in coming out, to, you know, even to yourself before coming out to others that you ever had a, a struggle with your faith or to even say like, if my, if this faith, this religion's telling me that I'm not worthy, why do I want to stick around in it? And you did. Well, I mean, I think everyone has little moments where you like get fed up with stupid ways that people are treating you and um, or feeling like the rules are never going to change. But even from a young kid, like from six, six on, like when my parents got divorced in a very kind of like physically tangible way that like I knew that God was with me and that like through the hardest moments, I felt like God was with me. And I know that's not a way that everyone always feels. I kind of wish I could bottle it up. Maybe it's why I work so hard, particularly with those who are in vulnerable spaces or contemplating suicide is like, I got a little extra to share, but um, because I've always known that God and I are good, then like when the trolls come out on Twitter or in whatever place that people are like trying to use Bible verses as spears uh, to poke holes and, and deflate people that you know, I always kind of had this desire to figure out how I could communicate better because I just figured like, well, if you don't get that I'm faithful, then I guess I just need to communicate better or like live more out loud. And so that's, that's kind of been my response is like when people tried to throw holy water on me to expel gay demons or sing hymns, when I walk by, I would just sing harmony and (laughs) figure out ways to try to just let my faith be consistent enough that it lasts longer than their fear and their lies. And almost every person who made my journey tough in my college years or after have apologized. But that's because I lived long enough to see that happen and lived publicly long enough to see that to happen. And not everyone has the strength and stamina and, and Honestly, it's not our job to be there for other people to apologize to, but to be open to notice when the world changes and believe it is maybe a different kind of faith that not everyone has. Well, why did you stay in Lutheranism? Is that a word? Uh, like instead of at the time, because you were you were out during a time where uh, they were not ordaining ministers, reference um, who are LGBTQ. So why not think, OK, you know what? They don't love me, but the UCC does um, or the Episcopals might. Uh, What kept you committing to the Lutheran doctrine? My experience was that um, because in Berkeley, there are several seminaries that are all kind of lots of different types of faith. So the Unitarian Universalists and the UCCs and the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Episcopalians and the Catholics and the Lutherans all go to seminary on the same hill. Hmm. And so when I talked to people who were in the UCC, they had a more publicly welcoming policy, but about the same rate of people being hired for jobs, right? There, they had a welcoming policy and then closeted discrimination that was happening. And the ELCA had a discriminating public policy and then more places that were like, wink, wink, don't ask, don't tell. And so it, it might look to like an outside observer if you're like reading the policies that things were radically different in different spaces. But other than the MCC church, who was like, we don't need none of this nonsense. We're going all the way gay, right? Or all the way queer. 
um, all the other kind of like mainline Christian denominations were in relatively similar spaces and, and the frustration of pastors was similar. So even in the places where for a long time, like there might be great jobs, but you'd get paid part-time, but be working full-time or you'd like, like the places that were willing to call you weren't the greatest of jobs. And so it has felt like most of the denominations have kind of come together at the same time, even if it looks like some of the benchmarks are yeah, yeah. different times. So you could kind of choose, you could choose be in the most open, most fabulous, most welcoming place, but have a lot of people think it wasn't as credentialed and legit or be in the very credentialed and legit system and have things that you kind of tolerate in the same way that that like most places have that when, you know, like during the times when you can be out on your one naval ship, but not to the whole military, right? Sure, so very sure. similar to other how other jobs opened up sort of slowly and awkwardly. Well, you showed them too, you know, like, like what? I'm Bishop bitches. Like what? <laughs> What's up? Well, how funny is it that like I was ordained with a group of 18 people kind of throughout a 20 year history of like breaking. We broke the contemporary rules by following a set of rules from the 1500s, because in Martin Luther's day, when they when Lutheranism became a thing, splitting from the Catholics, they then thought when bishops require celibacy, that it led to sexual misconduct, that it led to bad things for communities and I'll we let know you draw that. your own conclusions. I was going to say, yeah, we've seen all the, we've say, seen all the documentaries. Yeah. And so there are, there are all these writings from Martin Luther that say when bishops try to require celibacy, here's how you break their rules and ordain yourselves anyway using the congregations. And so we used an older set of rules. So we got ordained and it was called extraordinarily because they couldn't say we had followed the wrong rules because we followed the rules from the 1500s, um, but it defied the contemporary rules. And so then I was in, in 2009 when the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America changed their policies and were like, oh, yeah, gay people, just like everyone else. Let's do it. Um, then uh, they had to have a service of those of us who had been ordained extraordinarily to make us ordinary. Right. So I got into the church by defying the rules, but following the nerdier, older rules. So I'm the first bishop who was elect, who was elected, who was not ordained ordinarily. So I'm guessing that that service to make me ordinary maybe didn't take. That's <laughs> just the, <laughs> just, just the wordage alone of like, yeah. or, it, uh, gosh, <laughs> who is God? And let me tell you this. Guess what committee I now serve on as a bishop? The rostering committee about the rules of who gets to be pastors. Oh, really? (laughs) Not by accident. You're welcome. You sneak in on the end from the inside and you get to make some changes, some, some, some due and or overdue changes. Or just to, to care about the old rules and want to get rid of the hurdles in front of diverse folk as much as possible. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So, So here we go. So uh, hearing all this, who is God to you? God is, is a, a knitting that happens that connects community. God is a presence that we learn about through sacred stories. God is the creative power of humanity. God is the way the bees know where to fly next. I love this description. Right. God is, God is, well, so in the kind of Christian idea uh, that comes from the Hebrew Bible, so it's, it comes from Jewish tradition, God is a verb. So God is only known in our encounter with God. And so sometimes God, you know, kicks somebody's butt and makes them get swallowed by a whale. And sometimes God, um, is a, a silence and sometimes God is um, the vibration that happens when they play the low notes in the organ. Yes. yes. Right? Martin Luther believed that the one time we encountered God was when we breathed together when we were singing. So not even the sound we made, the breath, the sinking of our breath when we sing songs. That's beautiful. And it also, I mean, cause I, I do think a lot of the major belief systems 
do the same exact thing. And that kind of makes me think of, um, you know, there's, I've, there's a coach I have coming on in a few weeks on this show. Um, he's a, a breath coach. And so he finds the divine in his breath. And that just reminds me of, of that breath before you sing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. Martin Luther, I don't know enough about him. Um, and I really wish I did because the other Lutheran I had on here just blew my mind with how obstinate he was uh, and, and, and taking his own life at risk too, just to, to what you just said, remove the barriers between us and the divine. He really hated bishops and he called them a lot of really bad names. And <laughs> really? He was, he was very radical. He also like sucked in a lot of ways, right? So he's great in a lot of ways. He sucked in a couple ways that led to the Holocaust to be specific and were not okay. He believed that because God loved you so much, you could keep some of your vices and his personal vice was anger. And so there are writings that are wonderful and beautiful and mystical and poetic. And there are ways in which he's very like, you know, all the Sunday morning stuff that I believe as well, but I'm not highlighting as much because, because of the audience, right? The like, I believe Jesus Christ is my Lord and savior, one God of true God, light from light, right? All of that business. But then also like, Luther had a sassy side and didn't know how to get along with himself. There's one, there's one writing he did where he like gave this idea to the voice of Satan, but then he was writing so long, he changed his mind. And then he agreed with the voice and he decided it wasn't Satan at all. It must've been God. And so like, there are ways in which he was like a little wackadoo and kind of a nerdy little professor. And that sounds like my, my journal entries. I, my, (laughs) I have a weed, I call it my weed journal and it's where I pop an edible and I'll just go to town with whatever happens in my mind. Um, But I didn't know we get, we got to keep some of our vices. I mean, that was what Luther said. He said that you can sin boldly and live more boldly still, like that you can believe so strongly that that Jesus did all the work to reconcile you, that that you can you could, you know, all those things Donald Trump said he could get away with and still be the president. Martin Luther believed you could do and God would still love you. And so, you know, we also believe that, like, you're so grateful that God like reconciles you though. You don't deserve it that you like try to do good things, but sure. But I think Lutherans have a very kind of candid way of just like acknowledging we're all human beings and like right. perfect. And on our best days, when we remember that it, it's a very unifying, like we are family, you know, like the end of the bird cage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like everyone kind of uniting and and singing in their drag conga line. If you haven't seen the movie, I just um, watched it two nights ago. Oddly enough, come on, a Republican senator who hates everything gay <laughs> dancing in a drag conga line is like that's very much the like idea that like you can you don't have to agree with each other. You can come from very like diverse opinioned different places, and God's God's gonna work it out, and it's gonna be fine. And um. Not because we know 100% sure that's that it's all going to be fine, but because we trust in God and, and that space where the trust is. Um, we yeah. just do our best. How did you, uh, Queer Eye kind of brought you to the national platform Invisibility. How did that happen? Um, and then what the relationship between you and Noah, who was the, the, the not the guest that episode, but the, the featured um, individual that episode, how did that whole thing happen? Well, I think, I think, I think that the, the queer eye folk kind of, they had seen the video I had done with Cosmopolitan um, and we had worked, my congregation was kind of a smaller congregation in San Francisco that wanted to have a larger audience. And it was much easier to do online stuff because I had been doing like 15 years of online Bible study prior to the pandemic, just because there's this large number of people kind of all over the United States who wanted to hear LGBTQ positive faith information and couldn't get it in their local congregations. They could get their communion there, but they couldn't get sermons that were affirming of their life. And so we found ways to kind of amplify that. And that congregation, instead of like buying an ad in the paper, which is like the traditional way people try to get more people to come to their church, they like hired a coach to make me Insta famous, like on Instagram. (laughs) And 
And then all of a sudden I had like 20,000 followers or something. And so not, not doing anything weird, just like saying nice things to people and posting one thing a day and like, just kind of like having a purpose behind the message that I share and where like the thing I share is the thing people might need in the world. Yeah. And so, um, so I think, you know, doing kind of intentional outreach on Instagram, maybe was a part of it. And they, they knew they wanted to care for a pastor. And so they wanted, but they wanted to make sure they didn't offend anyone in the process of doing it. Right. When you're going to, can you imagine going into someone's random sanctuary and like repainting it and moving the furniture? And like, there are a lot of ways that could go wrong. Like if you picked a color that accidentally represented a thing that was terrible. And so um, to just want to get, it, it started with some like original feedback and then kind of developed into what if you came and 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 were there in person? And and I'm so grateful that Bishop Guy was able to be there. And it was for me a transformative time because you might know this based on your location, but filming includes a lot of not filming. Yeah. Right. Most of the day you're not filming and then you're filming. Yes. And so what it meant is I got to spend a lot of time with Guy Irwin. And for those who don't know, Guy was the first openly gay bishop in the Lutheran church. And so I got to ask him all these questions about like, what do bishops really do? Like, what's it like? And he just was so affirming and supportive. And I was like, well, we have a bishop's elections coming up. And he's like, yes, I think you could do it. Like he was just all in on trying to. So that's where it started. That, that trajectory towards bishophood. Partly. Well, it started a little bit earlier on a trip to Norway where I was invited to speak and they put it in the Norwegian paper that I was a bishop already. And I kind of had that, you know how like sometimes I remember you telling me this last year on the radio show, something good happens and then you question yourself and you're like, what the crap? So like they had put they had put it in the paper that I was a bishop and I thought. I was going to get in trouble for overrepresenting myself. And then on somewhere on the ride home, I figured out like, holy crap, everyone in Norway thinks there's a transgender bishop. And I was like, well, why don't I think there could be a transgender? And they're like, hey guys, tell your friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so I decided I would do the work that I needed to like internally believe that there could be a transgender bishop, not thinking it would be me, but just that someday there could be. And if everyone was spending their time talking to me about like the sinfulness of LGBTQ folk, then I needed to offset that with the same equal amount of time spent on imagining my saintliness. And so I went on that journey and I committed to it and committing to it included putting my name forward. And I guess I not only convinced myself, but also the people in the Sierra Pacific Senate also. Uh, clearly. Uh, and, and, and speaking of, of saintliness, you are long related to a patron saint. Yes. So, and, and tell me just because I, you know, again, speaking to the dumbest people, myself included, what <laughs> the hell is a patron saint? Because that's that's something that's kind of in the Catholic Episcopal Lutheran world. Well, it's not very Lutheran to have saints. We think okay. everybody's a saint. And so we don't really. That's so sweet. <laughs> special stuff. Right. So we um, we so patron saints would be like so every saint has like a thing that it's this the saint of. So like when they start running out of stuff, sometimes they're like, you're the patron saint of like shoehorns and you're the patron saint of like lint, right? Like there's a lot of like weird designations for saints. Uh, St. Nicholas von Fleur or or Bruder Klaus, as he chose to be called, um, was the patron saint of Switzerland because it's said that he prevented a civil war by talking people out of fighting and being paid fighters in other places and was a hermit and lived i we went and visited his hermitage that was part of my like pondering saintliness like imagining that maybe it's what if it's in my bloodline right yeah. that's easier than thinking i deserved it that's a very lutheran way of of thinking about it at least um and it's fun you get to go to switzerland yeah yeah that's cool that's so you but i mean it could be in your bloodline because here you are again bishop of the pacific senate yeah i know well here look It's show and tell, guys, just so you know. What is this? Oh, this is the patron saint. Okay. I I will make sure that, that they are in the they are in the the post when I post this. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You can decide if you think I look like him or not. I'm I'm gonna say absolutely. He's a little gaunt because he didn't eat food for like 15 years. He only ate communion bread. Oh, uh, I wish I had that problem. I yeah, don't. but carbs, right? I don't I know. <laughs> 
no, I'm all about the carp life. That's um, that's if we're talking about if we're talking about maintaining our vices, car what well, wine, but carbs are my vice that I will. Ha- what speaking of which, what was your vice if you got to keep one? What 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 vice oh. did you hold on to? You know, maybe it's um, I don't know, maybe it's Starbucks. Okay, vice. It depends on what community you're in. Like, what well, I guess being trans, if you. If you think about it from the like South Dakota perspective, sure, <laughs> right. <laughs> I probably swear more than bishops are supposed to. I don't know. What um, were some of the more conservative synods' reaction to you being elected bishop? I haven't heard anything negative from any of the the synods. I think that's in part because the Lutheran Church over the last six years has been studying gender violence, and as a part of that studying, like really committed to trying to support like trans people and women and and anyone who experiences domestic violence. And so I think, you know, there are very few times where I'm like, oh yeah, let's study something that'll change the world, right? (laughs) But but I do think it helped because the Lutheran church had like committed to it. And prior to my election that the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America thought they like made this really lofty goal of like, we're gonna increase by a million members. And here's the three groups we're gonna outreach to, young people, diverse racial uh, makeup, LGBTQ folk. And so like they knew they had this like super lofty goal of like doing evangelism to lots of queer folk. And then lo and behold, my election gets kind of press all over the globe. And so yeah. it, it's, it's helpful for that strategic plan they had made. But in the world, all of the Lutherans in the world also have been studying gender violence. In some countries, the the place they legitimately are at is like, let's give equal rights to women and provide them with education. But other places like the United States kind of think of that in a much more expansive gender way. And so I honestly think I got a card from every single one of the 65 bishops uh, here in the United States. I got, you know, greetings from I'm, I'm going to go do a talk for the trans group in Sweden in a couple of months. Right. So. Uh, and when I was in Norway, I met transgender pastors there. I, I've met trans faith leaders in Iceland, just all over the world. There are Lutheran trans folk up to stuff. And in some places, they get to have their private parts be private. And that's really wonderful. And in other places, um, it's it's a much harder place. And so they're less open because they're not sure how their communities will take it. But you know, there's since the beginning of the world, there have been the full diversity that that we now have some new names for. Yeah. Wow, you're doing so. I, I, th- this is why I say that the queer community is going to save religion because of yeah. what you're doing, uh, specifically for the LGBTQ community. But you, I mean, how many more? And and again, I, I you know, I'm not saying like that because I don't call myself a believer, but how many be- more believers are in the world today because of the queer voices like yours and, and like other people who are in leadership positions telling these young kids, you know what, you are okay. And I swear to God, God loves you. Yeah. Well, I, I like to think that I get a lot of messages, far too many messages from people who say that because they've learned that I exist, that they decided to live through the rest of the day. And so it's, it's my goal always to like lift up as many faithful role models as possible, because that's a lot for, for one person's shoulders. And well, I was going to say, Bishop, how does that, what's your self-care? Because that's one of the, I, I don't have near the impact on the world that you do and nor do I want it. Um, but you know, there, when people say those things, you know, through this podcast, I've gotten a few messages of people being like saying similar things. I it's, it's a pressure that I don't really welcome uh, because it's like, I feel hypocritical. I feel like I'm going to let you down. What do you do to, to help yourself stay lifted to where you can continue doing this work? Well, I'm fine with being someone's first reason to stay alive. I can't be the only reason they stay alive. Right. And hopefully, hopefully lifting up like of like what wellness can look like or like Kate Bornstein's book 101 alternatives to suicide like all of those things that are a part of the package um it's if I felt like every day I had to do like a podcast or every day I had to do the perfect photo otherwise people wouldn't stay alive I think I think that would be entirely way too much but like for those who are able to like see the video uh, like I do a lot of artwork I do a lot of like lighting candles and prayer and singing 
and music and I have the cutest seven and nine-year-old on the planet on purpose because you do have the cutest seven and let's segue to that because I yeah. want a family so bad what was it uh, yeah I mean, you can do it I, I, I want, I, I'm old fashioned though. I, I just want to get drunk and knock somebody up and like call it a day, you know? Um, I'm just kidding. That's not going to happen. Um, but I mean, how did you meet your wife? Um, yeah. Tell me everything. Well, this you'll, I think you'll like this answer. I met my wife because I got therapy homework. Okay. Tell me. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was just, I was on the other side of a very difficult, like relationship breakup where people like the person had said things about me in a way that was like to end the relationship very quickly and just like made up nonsense. And so I went to like the therapist cause that's what, you know, pastors and people who try to care for others do. We try to get ourselves right. So we don't accidentally screw up other people. And so, um, in, in the course of my therapy, the, the therapist was like, you know what, like you're not all these things. And you can prove that to yourself by like, I need you before. Did I lose you? Oh, I think you're there. Are you there? Yes. Just popped up on my screen. Your internet. Every time it says your internet connections unstable, it's so triggering because I'm like, I know me too. Um, (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I don't, that's not my narrative. Um, (laughs) Just a a silly nonsense. Um, So you had therapy homework coming out of a bad relationship. They said you are not these things. You can prove it to yourself by doing what? Yeah. Go on a date. And so I went on OkCupid. I put up pictures of myself doing communion because as a pastor, you don't want to have to be the pastor for someone on a date. Sure. Um, And so I went on one date for my homework and that's the person I ended up marrying. Wow. Oh, that's so beautiful. I went out with a an Episcopalian priest a couple of years ago. um, And I remember on the, and we went out like a few times, but I was always so paranoid. Like I wouldn't cuss. I wouldn't order a glass of wine. Like I was, I was like, if I'm going to be a first lady, I've got to get my shit together. <laughs> oh yeah. I think most pastors want a person. They can be like a human being. I know. That's why I didn't right? work out. <laughs> oh, next you know, time. <laughs> there's always tomorrow for dreams. Yeah, to consider, right? Exactly. I, but I'm so grateful that like we went on that journey and then um, we ended up adopting wonderful kiddos and we chose to use the foster care system because we wanted to have an intentionally diverse family but it felt like with artificial insemination it would be weird like why did we choose what we chose sure we liked liked the like matchmaking randomness of the foster care adoption process because you could have a diverse family but not it would be about like the need and the timing not about like any sort of manufactured rationale for which correct type of diversity we wanted to invite into our family. And so, um, and we, we and there's also a need for, to, to help get these kids out of the system as well. I, there are a few blocks away from here is one of the, um, the foster, I guess, headquarters. And I, part of me has thought like, that's going to be my plot in life is to go that route. Um, and I don't even know part of my, like envisioning my future. I I don't even know if a partner's involved with that, which kind of terrifies me because like, I can barely take care of my dog. Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's, I'm I'm so thankful to hear that. And your family is stunning. I I love the pictures of y'all online. They are, they're, they're gorgeous. And I mean, I recommend it to folk who are considering it, particularly LGBTQ folk, because you can spend all the money it costs to like make people genetically more like you. Um, if you can do the self-work to like want someone genetically like you to exist in the world. But like, but if you adopt someone, you not only like help make a family better and prevent homelessness likely for those individuals, but like they come with insurance until they're 18. And the the state gives you a stipend so that it's not economic reasons that select families are. And so I think it's- And I think they also get to go to college for free, right? Yeah, if they're in California. Wow. There's a commercial that I literally, I mean, even though I'm on Lexapro, I still get emotional with these things, but there is a commercial advertising um, to foster a teenager. um, And the little, she's not a little girl, she's a teenage girl and she's helping paint the mailbox for her mom. And it says, you know, uh, like the last name. And then the daughter takes the paintbrush and puts apostrophe S and the, and it just gets me every time. (laughs) It's so sweet. Well, like, so like, I mean, now I have, I have a daughter and I have, and I have a trans child and, and they're both black and, and it's such a beautiful part of our family. And there's, there's like something magical about it. Like 
the very first time we put our kids school photo like hung it up on the wall because that's what they do in Hallmark movies like our youngest just burst into tears because she had been in four foster home placements and always just seen whoever was permanently staying in that home's picture on the wall and she had never imagined being able to have her own picture on the wall and it's like your kid does that one time and you're like okay we're gonna keep you forever and we're gonna like love you and it's gonna be the best right and we oh. still talk about it every year when the school photos come out we put them on the wall and everyone says remember the time Michaela cried and cried like she cried a whole day she was so oh, Bishop, that's so oh. oh yeah right oh my god I hope people can hear that because that's those stories are what need to be showcased to the people on the other and not just on the other side of the country because we have them here too, but the people that are so against LGBTQ people adopting for their own bigoted reasons, how can they listen to that and think, nope, she still deserves to be in the system? Well, I mean, people can say whatever they want to say. Uh, it, it, I mean, the difficulty for me as a trans person is like, in order to visit my family in South Dakota, I have to look up if I can go to the bathroom there. And we have to carry a binder with CPS letters and letters from therapists and letters from family members. So that like, if my kid gets hurt at my mom's home and has to go to the doctor, that CPS doesn't remove them from our home just because I'm trans. Right? You have and to validate your existence, validate your, your relationship to your child just to go visit where you come from. Well, because it's... It's, it would, it maybe would be different if they looked more similar to me, but because they are like black children and I am a white person and, um, and there are heinous laws about trans people on the books in different States right now, there's a whole number of things that I have to do to be able to travel, whether I'm going to a Bishop meeting or I'm going to visit my mom or, um, or if I'm going to another country, I have to check if I can be executed in that country. Yes. Go there right and so it's a whole process of just figuring out and i say that on purpose to like have a counter narrative to like the amount of faith that i try to put into the world and lack faith that the world has for trans people right now but it goes back to what you said about lutheranism is that you share hearts so all yeah. the work you're doing you are doing with an ecological sense of yeah. i see the obstacle I, I i am the victim of the obstacle but my faith is so strong that I can, I can, I can believe on their behalf. Yeah. But I mean, because I have gone through TSA wearing my clergy uniform, I haven't done it wearing a Bishop's uniform yet, but I'm sure that I will. And I hope so. In order for me to go through TSA, you know, when you go through the, the, the big Gantron machines, they pick a, pick a pink button or a blue button. And if, if your flaps and your folds don't ma match what they think should happen with a pink button or a blue button, then you get a deep cavity search every time. And so I have had to have that happen. Whoa, 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 whoa. All clerics, deep cavity search in public, weeping, just weeping and weeping and weeping while the TSA people are apologizing. And they might say, will you please talk out loud so we know who should touch you? Because they're not allowed to ask if male or female. They just have to guess, and then a male or a female will do my deep cavity search. And so they will literally say out loud sometimes, talk out loud so we know who should touch you. In I, clerics. I'm, right? I'm, I'm literally speechless. Yeah. I've, I've never thought about that. Uh, and I, I'm flying on Thursday this week, so I will be, uh, I will be very aware of that privilege because uh, that's what I, 2020 has been my takeaway is just the amount of new privileges I didn't yeah. know I had, but now I do. And this is another one. Um, and I will, in that moment, I'll be sending a lot of light to those who are victims of that, that oppression. I, and just the color association is so offensive and so juvenile. Well, and it's, I mean, it's because someone tried to put a bomb in their underpants. So they're looking at what's in your underpants. Right. <sighs> and, but it's, but when you when you have your little bag, go through the little rolling machine and you're waiting for it to come out and instead of being annoyed that everybody's pushing in that dumb little line. Just take a look back at the person who's pushing the pink button or the blue button. Oh, my God. Is anything being done about that? I mean, I've never heard of any bills being put on the floor that, that address things like that. Well, it's been happening since um, September 11th. So that's 20 years of this TSA nonsense for trans people. And it started with. Um, the idea that women would be terrorists and would wear men's shoes in order to do it. And that's how they would kind of track. So, so butch, butch lesbians also were kind of originally a part of it. And it's 
it actually the the experience is so terrible. TSA actually has a separate website just for transgender complaints. The National Center for Transgender Equality has worked on it for decades. I, I mean, I, this is every episode I receive information that mind blows me. And this is the one that I am going to lose sleep over tonight. I'm, I'm yeah. speechless. I mean, a lot of trans folk who are wealthy try to get TSA pre-check because most mm-hmm. of the time you don't have to go through the machine. But that means you got to pay 800 bucks yeah. and go through all of the document request. Yeah. BS stuff, right? Oh, God. Tell me, let's talk about something happy. Tell me <laughs> about Prayers from the Caribbean. Because yeah. I, as a, as a former cruise ship singer, and yes. living, living many years on, 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 on the open seas, uh, one of my favorite itineraries was actually out of San Juan, which I think is where this book came from, yeah. visiting the islands that are, that are some of my happiest memories in life. Um, so I, I did not know that this book existed, so I apologize. So I actually am ordering it as soon as we get off of here. But tell me about how this book came about. Yeah, I'm not mad at you. Um, Look, I, I'm, I'm mad at, I'm mad at my, my marketing money not working. <laughs> well, it's I my congregation in San Francisco didn't really have schedules that worked well for them to all go to Bible study together um, because the retired folk wanted to meet before it was dark because it was harder for them to drive. And the folk who were younger work really late. Tech jobs just go until after seven o'clock in the Bay Area. And so... Um, I started writing these tiny little short books about like different travels I had been on, like spiritual takeaways from them. And then when I would go on trips to other countries, um, I would just write prayers while I was there because I wanted people to know, like, I'm praying for you, like while I'm on this thing and I'll just write them down. And, and what was lovely about it is then I had like on a really stressful day, you know, when they're like, Hey pastor, will you pray? And you're like, and you, your tank is empty and you could just like pick up the book and be like, got it. Ready to go. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I did a, a prayer book from Norway, a prayer book from Iceland, a prayer book from the Caribbean um, and one from Philadelphia when I was on a secret trip to do a thing that I guess now you know about. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the prayers from Philadelphia is more of a best of, of like all of the LGBTQ books. Cause I thought people might care after queer eye came out. Um, yeah. Oh, I'll have to get both of them then. Hey, I'm so excited. Yeah. The one from the Caribbean is, is about different, different prayers that I thought about as I sailed kind of from place to place. And I was really struck like in the cruise ship. I don't know if this probably wasn't a problem on your cruise ship, but Uh, There was like this brochure at the beginning that was like, we apologize in advance for the fact that we can't tell if people working on the ship are slaves or not. And I was just like, what the what? What do you mean? And I get it now. Um, NPR did a thing this weekend about like sugarcane plants and all kinds of immigration status things and how it's why it's really impossible to tell in some countries what people's immigration status is and if they're working for living wages or not. And, but it was like, so here I am this, like trying to be ethical pastor, like on a, like you're stuck on the boat, like until you get back. And the, the opening welcome document was like, maybe there are slaves caring for you. Sorry about that. Bye. And I was just like, oh my gosh, we need to do some prayer. Like, so, so I did prayers about kind of the history of slavery on the islands, prayers about like beautiful ways that people were, were striving and growing together prayers for hurricane recovery um, Mm. prayers for like the beautiful things that you only see when you go scuba diving. Right. Yeah. Um, Prayers for like just enjoying a vacation and not thinking about the consequences, like everything in between, like that, the full saintliness and the centerness of the world. And to really kind of think about that and, particularly like the rich history in San Juan think like it's a place where you really can tell the effects of colonization yes and brutal massacres that people have gone through and so to think about like how do I repent from some of these things how do I appreciate the art and the beauty and the joy how do I so it was just a time of like trying to contemplate some of the ways I was woefully entangled in in white supremacy yeah in these histories and in the problematic nature of like wanting self-care and, and it had not occurred to me that 
in that deep a way that my self-care was like slavery for other people. Cause yeah. Well, that, 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 that speaks, I mean, simply put, this is privilege. So what do you, and, and, and privilege is, is one of the, uh, you know, I, I, it's so hard to convince someone of privilege to take a step back and to see it from how, you know, somebody else who doesn't have that privilege would see it. But does that book kind of deal with that? Because if so, I'm buying a whole crate and just <laughs> sh- shipping it to a lot of um, uh, people that I won't mention here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of the prayer books tend to be in like three parts and it starts with like stuff that's hard and then it heads towards stuff that's a little bit more hopeful. So like the one in Norway is about like um, body shame and politics, right? And the the one in the Caribbean is about slavery and liberation and and what freedom is and and so because you can see all of those things mixed together like the the caribbean isn't all brutal history um it's also like amazing patriotic like there was also like a workers strike at the time to like to make sure the the police officers hadn't been paid for the entire time of hurricane recovery um and And so it was like about kind of people rising up and requesting what they need. And they ended up like ousting the governor like very shortly after. And so it was like at the same time that you're like dwelling deeply in these these things that feel really unjust. It's like the amazing power of like the human spirit to like conquer and liberate. And so it's it's a little bit of a messy middleness of all of that. I think. Wow. What ship did you cruise on? Do you remember? I don't remember. I got it through United miles points because oh, that's yes. my secret for all of the people who work like jobs where you don't get paid much, but you like have to get all of these reimbursements is I always have used a frequent flyer mile card. Yep. And then all my self-care is paid for with mile points. Yes. Just enough United miles points to like get there and go on the cruise. And it was, it was the best ever. Yeah. I love it. Cruises are my happy place. I'm a, I'm a water sign. So like I, I find my biggest healing on the water, but I, I, it was the happiest chapter of my life is just being living full-time on the water. I loved it and I miss it so bad. Um, you're great. We gotta uh, get some footage of that though. You gotta post some some of the videos here. Oh yeah. Podcast of you singing on the cruise ship. Oh, I will. I, <laughs> I, I'm no, uh, there's no shortage of, of my ego on social media, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, I, you know, and to con- uh, c- contrast my ego, I was just gonna comment on your grace for those who are lagging in their faith in terms of like not being as evolved or as equitable or equality driven is so remarkable. You have a, I saw this, I actually wrote it down in my, in my weed journal um, when I, when you posted it, when I saw it, but you said it's a sacred act to love people more than they deserve. And that struck a chord with me so much because part of my activism is, 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 is being on fire, is being activated, is being angry. And your activism is so coded in love because you do abide and, and not to like set you up on a pedestal. Cause I know that we all have our, you know, our vices and our moments. Um, but I just, it, it's so evident to me from the outside that you do practice that act, uh, that sacred act of loving people more than they deserve. Um, so I just want to commend you for that and say, thank you. Cause again, it is the queer people who are going to be saving religion if it's to be saved. Um, and, and if I return, you know, it's so funny. I, 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 my trauma comes from, a, a faction of people within religion. And I always thought that if I were to return to religion, it's because of their apologetics or because of their involvement, but it's not, it's because of people like you, it's because of other LGBT, LGBTQ people in the community, in the religious community who have, who I genuinely believe are much more connected to the divine than non LGBTQ people because of the, the struggles they go through and having to reconcile who they are with who made them, um, and, and the list goes on, but I, I just thank you for, for loving people more than they deserve. Oh, thank you. That's really nice. Apologies that there's a weed whacker going past my window right now. <laughs> it's okay. I can't even hear it. Oh, good. Um, but I you- just think, I think that, that there might be people who don't know that they're sinful in any way, 
shape or form. And that's what the forties and fifties and religion was about was like trying to make people feel that way in the same way. Like there might be people who don't know racism is a thing. And there might be people who don't know homophobia exists. And those people might need something shocking or pivotal to like show them that it exists. But my experience is that most people behind their professional bravado are pretty certain that they are flawed and are pretty certain that, that, that they have known struggle. And so I think people know already why they need love and care and support from something bigger than themselves. And it's not, so I don't need to like lean into something people already know, but I think there is a shortage or maybe it's not amplified enough of people reminding them that they are beautiful and that they are loved and that they are named and that they're acclaimed. And you know, save for Mr. Rogers making a comeback and doing it for us, right? Oh my gosh, right? Yeah. And, and Oprah shouting about how much she loves bread. Like we need more <laughs> people who can amplify our value and our worth because every other talking head shouting on the TV about how we're terrible. And so I feel like if, if we're going to call it good news, which is the Greek word for what the Bible's supposed to be or what Jesus thought he was supposed to be, then it's got to be good news for people. And it's got to be, so right. be good news for the agnostic. It's got to be good news for my neighbor. It's got to be good news for everyone. Otherwise, I'm translating it wrong. And I, I don't know about you, but if someone's got to take 30 minutes to convince you why what they're saying is love, it's not love. Thank you. Oh, right? that's, that's so accurate. What would you say to those people then? Because I, I usually ask this question in reverse, but what would you say to the, the faithful community who just cannot accept A, that we ex- either A, we exist or B, we belong? Well, I would say to them what I used to say to the kids who were battered and abused, who were three to 12, who would bite and kick and fight because their, their lives were hard and they had been harmed by people experienced trauma and they didn't believe it when a stranger said it, I would say, it's okay that you don't love me. I love you enough for the both of us. Uh, y'all can't see my, my eye roll right now. Cause it was out of like, of course that's your answer. Cause you're so great. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what friends are <laughs> no, for no, and what so conversations right. at the bar are for. And that's what like venting is for. And oh, Bishop, I adore that. But like, you know what? Why do I care if they think God doesn't love me? I can still love them back. Oh, that's the, that's the Christ message. That's it. Oh, wow. Well, and what would you say to let's, let's target it with, with youth, but what would you say to young queer people who are either in an abusive religious situation or, or thinking, or maybe that are just looking for a path forward to help them um, align in this world? Find ways to sparkle that don't get you hurt until you're in a safer place. So if you need to put glitter like on your toes where no one can see it under your socks, put glitter on your toes under your socks and live until the time when you're in a safer place, when you can be your full fabulous self and people can love you for exactly who you are. If you need to like be under the radar so that you can stay in your house and you can go to high school, get at least one friend who knows where your glitter is and is going to love your full fabulousness and be as safe as you can, as long as you can. And, um, and if you choose to be out and proud and it's not safe, uh, put at G L A A D glad, and they will lift up your voice. They will change the laws in your town and a whole gaggle of queer folk will come to your defense. And yes, and- they will. Yes, they will. Myself included and, yeah. and you as well. Um, so last question, what would you say that to, to the divine? Were they standing before you right now? Thank you. Mm. Simple. Yeah. Gratitude. Most people, you know, a lot of the people I've had on this show while affirming are still, you know, either amidst trauma or or in one way or another. And so there's, I either get the thank you or I get the fuck you. And I never know which answer I'm going to get. And I I mean, that's that's how I face most days. I never know which one I'm going to lead with, but (laughs) I love that. Just simple. Thank you. Um, Tell us where we can find you, where we can find your books uh, and how we can, can see your, your teachings and your messages. 
the books are available in most places on Lulu and Amazon. Um, if you Google Megan Roar, you'll get a th way too many pictures of me. Um, it's at M-M-R-O-H-R-E-R. -R -E but basically, if you just say trans bishop, you'll probably find it all. <laughs> uh, how, how do you feel about wearing that badge? Well, I mean, it's true. Sure. Not, um, I think it's, I'll take anything someone wants to call me that's nice. Fair. Maybe a couple mean things if they say it nice. If they say it nice. Well, I'm Southern, yeah, like so most of, our, most of our mean yeah. things come across with a smile on our face. Yeah, like, <laughs> oh, bless your heart. Yes. Oh, yes. I use that one way too often. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and then, yeah, so y'all, please go check them out because it is, uh, even as someone who's not sure what they believe, I look forward to your posts uh, because they just relay love and grace and acceptance. And they also activate me to make sure I'm living according to the values that I claim were the, were the ones not being presented in my upbringing of, of, of religion. So um, go find them. Uh, I appreciate you so, so much, Bishop. Uh, are you speaking in LA anytime soon by chance? Uh, nothing is booked now, but I will be soon. Okay, cool. Well, I'll be, y'all also be on the lookout and I will be as well. Um, and I will come stalk you and sit in a pew and, and, um, and I'll be fangirling. <laughs> well, tell Pastor Drew to invite me. Oh, oh, that's, that's true. I actually forgot that Pastor Drew was here in LA until I was on Melrose a few weeks ago at a red light. And I look over and it says, welcome Pastor Drew or something to that effect. And I was like, Oh my God. And so I texted them at that moment. I was like, I forgot you're here. Um, but yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I appreciate your time. Uh, and uh, we will stay in touch and I'll see you later. And all the people said, gay men. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Fagnostic Podcast hosted by me, Matt Hayes. You can find me at matthays.com, that's M-A-T-H-A-Y-E-S.com, or on just the millennial socials at Hayes on it, H-A-Y-E-S on it. Please go subscribe, review, and share this podcast. And in the meantime, peace be with all y'all. Hi, Michael Spicer here. Matt Hayes forgot to put my name in the credits of his podcast as the composer, but I'm here to tell you that I wrote the music for his podcast. Whatever the it's called... I don't know. 